0: Hi, let's start the chapter, please. this class, we will talk about chapter five is cross-border trade and investment. Some of you guys have done some assignment about NAFTA and you're aware of the, what's uh, international trade and investment. The reason we're talking about international trade and investment is the fact that um, they are made of uh, one of the driven Forces of international trade and investment and cross border trade is international companies or international business. So uh, we need to know what's an international trade and international uh, cross-border uh, trade in order to have an understanding, general understanding what's in the, uh, take, what it takes to do an international business. Now, here what we're we talking about. We will be talking about mostly about uh, theories, and then we we'll to talk about practice later on. The economics arguments surrounding the benefits of a cost, uh, benefits and costs of a free free trade, is a good and service are not abstract academic argument. They are has a practice sense in it. And when we are talking about uh, here, we're talking about the theory and the practice part of it is the fact that international trade theory has shaped the economics policy of many nations in for the past 50 years. And you are fully aware of some countries who used to be way below the poverty line and now it's much better like China like uh, Korea and like uh, you know Dubai. So these are cities or countries that were were way below the poverty line and now they are very wealthy and rich countries. So it was uh, <clears throat> it was the driver behind the world Trade Organization and regional trading blocks such as, European Union, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. An overview of a trade theories is basically one of the God of the economics, Adam theory, Adam Smith theory of absolute advantage. He proposed in 1970, 1776, Smith's theory was the first to explain why unrestricted free trade is beneficial to a country. Free trade refers to a situation where a government does not attempt to influence what its citizen can buy and sell uh, between each other or internationally. So there is no taxes, let's assume, or tax on everybody. Something that the less restricted, there is no restriction at all. That's when the free trade happening. Now, an overview of a, uh, of a trade theory, building on a Smith work or additional theory. So we are, what are we doing here? We bring in the, a Smith theory and we build the international edition uh, work on it. And it's uh, one is a theory of competitive advantage also done by David Ricardo. So he took a Smith theory and built and uh, a trade theory. Ricardo works uh, was refined by uh, LA and Bertley, Bertil whose theory is known as Heckscher-Hochlein theory. The great strength of the theories of Smith, Ricardo, and heckscher ochline is that they identify with precision the specific benefit of international trade. So basically, this, this theory, the free trade was got evolved eventually about driven from Smith's theory. Now, the benefit of a trade of a trade is the gain of trade arises because international trade allows a country to specialize in the manufacturing and export of a product that can be produced most efficiently in that country, while importing a product that can produce more efficiently in other country. Let me give you an example is like, you know, I I, I use this example, say if I'm really efficient in cutting trees and not good in sewing the t-shirt and my neighbor is good in sewing t-shirts but not good in cutting trees. So it's more beneficial for me is I focus on cutting trees and he focus on uh, sewing t-shirts. And whenever he needs you know, woods or the trees, he comes to me, I give it to him and in return, he gives me t-shirt. We are becoming specialized in something because I'm not me. If I decided to make t-shirts and cut trees, I might, I have to trade some of my time Doing t shirts, and I might be not good at it, so it might take me some longer time than my uh, neighbor does. And this is also applicable in general in between countries. The benefit of a trade, according to this theories of Smith, Ricardo, and you know, Hacksher, Ohline. Uh, show why it is beneficial for a country to engage in international trade, even for a product it is able to produce it itself. If you're able as a country produce it, but you're not efficient, you're not cost effective, you better to get it from somewhere else and you focus on things that you are efficient. Now, there is some exceptions but mostly it's this applicable and the exception we will be talking about it in chapter six, the next chapter. But in general, many Canadians believe that to help save Canadian jobs from foreign competition, Canadian consumers should buy a product produced in Canada by Canadian companies whenever possible. Now, the theory of Smith-Ricardo and Haksher-Ohlin tells us that the country may gain, if it is citizen, by certain product from other nations that could be produced at home. The gain arise because international trade allows a country to specialize in the manufacture and export of product that can be produced most efficiently in that country while important product that can be produced more efficiently in other countries. Let me give you a very extreme example so you understand what they are trying to say here. If you look at the Saudi Arabia is a desert city, desert country, has full of oil. And if you look at the Canada has oil, but it's lots of trees there. So it's very beneficial for the both that Saudi Arabia export oil because extracting oil from the land from the ground costs around uh, $5 In extracting oil from the ground of Canada costs around $35. So more efficient that Saudi Arabia ex, uh, take oil out of their ground and export it partially to Canada than Canadian export their own oil, for example. On the other hand, because of Saudi Arabia is a desert and uh, it would be very costly for them to grow trees because they need to good waters and good land and good soil. So it's easier for Canada to, to export trees and wood products to Saudi Arabia than Saudi Arabia growing that, even in the case of weeds also. It's easier for Canada to grow wheat and export it to to Saudis than the Saudis growing on their desert land, which is they might need so much soil and water to do that. So these are uh, uh, the benefits of the trade. So while importing product that can be produced more efficiently in other countries. Now the the pattern of international trade, the theory of Smith, Ricardo and Hacksher or Hullin also help us to explain the pattern of international trade that we observe in the world economy. Some aspects of the pattern are easy to understand like Saudis and uh, Saudi Arabia and Canada, exporting and importing oil and wood. Some uh, so some aspects of the pattern are easy to understand. The climate and the natural resources endowment explain why, for example, Ghana export coca, Brazil export coffee, Saudi Arabia export oil, and China export ginseng. And India export uh, services, for example, and spices. The patent, uh, some aspects of the patent are difficult to, pattern, are difficult to understand. The leading to the new trade theory, so when we are not understanding and there's an extreme examples of between Canada and you, and. Uh, and uh, Saudi Arabia, we can understand that really well. But we need to also understand why such a trade happening in NAFTA between USA and Canada, where they're similar to each other. And here, where you develop the leading the, the leading new trade theory, the new trade theory stresses that in some cases, organ, countries specializing or specialized in the production and export of particular products, not because of underlying differences in factor endowments, but because in certain industries, the world market can support only a limited number of firms. So let's say, um, in certain industries uh, the world support limited number of firms so in case of oil why always come mostly comes from opec yet the other countries might have oil and the reason there is certain level of oil consumption that it's needed in the world And if it increased more than that, because of more firms producing, more countries is producing, that not only the price of oil goes way down, the storage of oil, excess of oil will be very costly. So they only support certain level, certain countries to uh, produce oil uh, in the world. And, mostly you notice is OPEC uh, and Russia that they are really exporters of oil to to the world. And in America, you got Venezuela. So here's where mercantilism is an economic philosophy advocating that countries should be simultaneously encourage export and discourage import. But the problem with that, you cannot just blindly export, uh, encourage export and import and discourage import, because the flaw in with this was it, because it's viewed as a zero sum game. In other words, they would they look at it saying, um, when you are exporting, there is an income. And when you're exporting, there is an expense or uh, payments. So um, income minus payment is what's your uh, purchase power or your wealth. And they're assuming that everything equal with the zeros. But the issues here to export that products in some country costs you $1 and in some country costs you $50. And you need to take that into consideration, which is, Mercantilism does not take that into consideration. So there is what you call absolute advantage. A country has an absolute advantage in the production of product when it is more efficient than any other country to produce it. Just like what we talked about in Saudi Arabia versus Canada, and here, an example you looked at is used in the text uh, to explain why Korea would produce rice and Ghana would produce coke, coca. And the reason, because Korea are much efficient, their land is more good and well fit for uh, rice. On the other hand, Ghana is more fit for producing. Uh, and they can trade that with each other. In the same example, also applicable between Saudi Arabia and Canada. Here, I'm not gonna talk about uh, the process and the numbers, but as I said, I brought uh, earlier example of, to make it simple, T shirt and cutting the trees. If I'm good in cutting trees, and I can cut 10 trees a day, and if I decide to make my own t shirt, which is going to take me some time to make my own t shirt, so I have to stop produce, cutting three trees for one t shirt, and I have an option of trading one tree for one. T-shirt with my neighbor because my neighbor is good in cutting and doing sewing, but he's bad in cutting trees. So I rather to cut 10 trees and, 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 and trade one tree to my neighbor and get a T-shirt. So I end up with nine trees and one T-shirt. But if I decide to, to cut trees and make a T-shirt, so my one making a, if I make one T-shirt, I end up making only se- cutting seven trees and one T-shirt. If I'm working on my efficient, I end up making cutting nine trees and one T-shirt if I'm trading. If I'm not trading, I will end up with having only seven trees and one T-shirt. This is where the trade and gain comes from trade. So there is what you call a competitive advantage. Theory that countries should specialize in the production of goods and service that they can produce most efficiently. A country is said that they have a competitive advantage in the production of such goods and service. Just consider me who could cutting 10 trees, country A, and consider my neighbor who sewn T-shirt is country B. So it's better we trade with each other and I will end up with the nine trees and one T-shirt and he will end, he will have uh, his one tree that he's looking for. So it's also used to explain the Ghana why it's competitive, more efficient to produce coca and then uh, make rice and coca, leave the rice to, to Korea and produce coca, and then trade, and they will be bottom line, where they have more income or wealth. So the Hager Ohlin theory predicts that the countries will export those goods that makes intensive use of factors that are locally abundant, lots of it, while importing goods that make intensive use of factors locally scarce, like um, Ricardo theory and Hank Klein, Olin theory, argue that the free trade is beneficial. So the trade between say um, Canada and uh, Saudi Arabia, there is abundant, lots of oil in Saudi Arabia and easy to export it, easy to take it out from the ground and export it. There is oil in Canada, but it's not easy to take it out, not abundant, not on the top, so easy to get it. So that makes sense that these two countries trade worth of $10 billion uh, between them, maybe much, much more than that. Now, the product life theory, Raymond veron's theory driven from that, which is a using a product life cycle theory, went to argue that earlier in the life cycle of a typical new product, while demand is starting growing rapidly in the United States, demand in other advanced country is limited to high income groups, unions, argument that most of new products are developed and introduced in the united states seems ethnocentric he's saying when the income of a country is becoming higher and higher there is certain demand get triggers and according to that demand people start buying. For example, if you look at the China, once their income now is growing, so suddenly there is a demand for a better mobile and for better cars. They have a demand for cars now. In the early days because they were under the poverty, lots of under poverty line, they couldn't afford buying car. So the the Ch- China stopped producing car because there is a demand for it. And but on the other hand, you see their cars is very economic and small. They're not interested to in making big cars like USA. USA, because of the ethnocentrics, when they start producing cars, they produce car, big cars with you know consume plenty of uh, gas. In China, when they start producing cars, they produce an economic car. same, same thing with Japan. So according to the ethnocentrics of the people, the next stage of production, it differs. And the new trade theory began to emerge in 1970 when a number of economists were arguing that in the increasing return to a specialization might exist in some industries. And they start talking about the economies of scale, which is represent one particular important source of increasing return, economies of scale or unit cost reduction associated with a large of output. So if you're, you have taken economics or cost accounting course, you know there is, if we're producing any unit, there is two parts of it, there is uh, two costs cost is fixed cost per unit and you have the variable cost. and the fixed cost per unit is basically comes from or driven from from total fixed cost. and the total fixed cost to calculate the fixed cost per unit you take the total cost divided by a number of units that you are producing the more you produce, the less is your variable cost per unit, okay? When it's your, the less your variable cost per unit, uh, the the less fixed cost per unit, I'm sorry, the more you produce, the more uh, you produce, the less is your fixed cost per unit, Add to the variable cost, which is, uh, you know, uh, each, each unit has its own cost, which is called variable cost. You add them both becomes less and less the more you produce. So this is what we call economies of skills. It to reach up to a point when then starts switching. But let's think now on keep going down the price, the, the, the total cost per unit. Uh, and that's what you call economize of scale. So the more you produce, the cost per unit is lower. Now, so so the theory, the new trade theory is driven uh, uh, on this uh, law. And increasing product variety and reducing costs there is another way of thinking is the consequences of the small national market. What happened when a nation, national market are combined into the larger world market. So there is a small national market and you start producing cars, producing weeds, producing computer, producing, and you do that for your small national unit market. But once you are combined with the international, your cost per unit is really high because you're not producing lots of units, you're producing limited units. So your total cost per unit is really high and other big nations can come in or the world market can come in and compete with you in your local country. And that's what might has some of the products that you produce line of product might disappear. So there is what you call the national competitive advantage. And here where he, Porter's looks at it and brings, it comes up with a Porter theory and it's the competitive advantage actions determines that four broad attribute of the nation shape, the environment in which local firms compete. And these firms promote or impede the creation of competitive advantage. So one is demand condition. Let's assume you have a demand for a local production. You like your local car. So no matter what kind of cars comes in in a market, cheaper or something, you have a demand for that car. But if you're looking for a lower price, then you're very much open. The second relating and supporting industries. So steel manufacturing in Iran, for example, is pretty cheap because lots of steels. Producing cars, because consume lots of steels from then, The cost of producing a car is low because the cost of getting the steels is cheap. So these are relating and supporting industries. Factor endowment and firm strategy structure and rivalry. So if somebody is planning to come in and compete, they have to give, for example, have a better product or produce a better product, more customized product or you know, cheaper product in order to compete. So it depends on what your competition also is thinking. So overall, the terms of national competitive advantage using the Porter's Diamond Theory is the fact, first you look at the demand conditions, then you check in the related and supporting industries. You see the factor endowment, like do you have enough income to buy cars more than one or two, or three mobiles, and, and the firm's strategy locally and internationally, and their structure, and how they are competing with each other in, in the, for the local market. And they're all related to each other, these factors. Now the implication for international business, there is a three implication that we need to look at it also when we are analyzing the international trade and international, uh, why international business fit within needs to understand the international trade. One is location implication, the first mover implication and the policy implication. And location implications is different country have a particular advantage in different productive activities. So sometimes you will see a product that 50% is produced, is a Canadian product, 50% of it's produced here, and the rest is coming from other countries where it is cheaper. So it makes sense for a firm to, express its productive activities to those countries where according to the theory of international trade, they, they can perform most efficiently. An example, a McDonald's that's produced in Saudi Arabia, the sandwich. Well, um, the meat itself comes from Spain. The lettuce comes from, uh, I believe, Italy. The weeds of the bread is from Saudi Arabia and the mustard and the spice that puts in the Big Mac, it comes from USA. The reason they have a better product there or a cheaper product, so they bring it to all together to give, to give somebody in Saudi Arabia a Big Mac. So there is an efficiencies uh, performed there. Now, first mover application, implication firms that establish a first mover advantage with regard to production of a particular new product may subsequently dominate the global trade in that product it pays to invest substantially resources in trying to build a first mover or really mover early mover advantage even if that means several years of substantial loss before the new venture becomes profitable in chapter 6 we'll talk about it in detail but here what we're going to say we're going to to explain it for you why first mover is important i will you know bring a personal Um, situation. After, you know, a a new era of Iraq started, they are technology-hungry country, they were. So they established uh, two telco companies. When they established the two telco companies, I and my company, which I was working for, we were the first mover to provide um, a core solution, telco core solution for two major operators in Iraq. Oper- uh, they serve over 30 million subscribers. Since we provided the core solution, we managed to you know, be in the middle of all the solutions. When we went there, we we were implementing core solution application. We suggested using Nokia or Ericsson's as switches. And in that time, Huawei or Huawei trying to sell their switches, they couldn't to these two operators because we did not recommend Huawei's equipment although they were good. So, because they were not the early mover and they were did not put the switches earlier, if they put the switches earlier, then they could have told the operators what kind of core application to pick, or they give them a core application. We were first movers. And although we made like a, that year 70 something million dollars, and started working more and more, more Huawei, because it was late mover there, they could they had they couldn't sell their stuff. So they had to go back to ITS and they bought the application of ITS and they bought 1,000 employees of ITS for a billion dollar in order for them to penetrate the Iraqi market and the other market that captured by us as early movers. Then when they bought that, then the employees, a thousand employees, they customized their core application to better work with switches of Huawei. So then after that, the next version, what's happened is the consultant suggested to the operators, to to operators, it's okay, to buy Ericsson, Nokia, or a Huawei, and since Huawei was cheaper than Ericsson and Nokia, they started selling to this. Owner. So you see the advantage of being a first mover uh, situation. So the comp- my company that I was working ended up making, you know, revenues, but eventually made one billion dollar jump in their sales by selling their. Uh, telco industry sector. And they kept the education and they kept the banking sector. So the implication for international business, there is a policy implication. The theories of international trade also matters to international business, as we said, because firms are major players on the international trade scene. And that's in the beginning of the chapter, we said that. Why we need to know about the international trade because international business are the main players of international trade. Because of their pivotal role in the international trade, business can influence the government trade policies, lobbying to promote the free trade or a trade restriction. And there is lots of lobbying in USA in Canada who can uh, de- influence the policies that made for a free trade on certain product or service or not. So this is the end of the chapter five. Thank you.